As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, why should you not kiss on New Year's Day? Mm, I don't know. Because it's the first date. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
we had many paranormal experiences from noises in the attic, cabinets opening on their own, doors opening, faucets turning on, and even full-body apparitions. The scariest one of all was a sighting uh, my sister and I both shared. So my house was set up with two bedrooms upstairs that would lead to a staircase heading downstairs. The stairs led into the living room where we had the TV against the staircase and two couches set up on opposite sides of the living room. One night, my sister and I were both sleeping in the living room because we couldn't sleep in our bedrooms. Around one to three uh, at night, we both woke up at the same time. We looked at each other curiously about why we had woken up. A couple of moments after staring at each other, we noticed something coming down the stairs. We looked towards the stairs to see, see a woman in a white Native American-style dress embroidered with some stone and a necklace around her neck. She had long blonde hair and a soft young face. She was roughly older 20s or younger 30s. She was slightly translucent and floated down the stairs instead of taking steps. She reached the bottom of the stairs looking at us with a kind look in her eyes. We knew she didn't mean to scare us or anything like that. When she reached the bottom of the stairs, she turned in front of the TV and floated into the hallway leading to the rest of the house before disappearing. Once she was out of sight, my sister and I could go, couldn't go back to sleep. We looked at each other to confirm what we both saw. My sister and I have talked a lot about that day. After some research, we figured out that the whole block, there was a park included was built on an old Potawatomi Native American war ground. They have found arrowheads and pots at the park, and we assume this spirit was related to that. I think about that woman a lot. It has instilled a love of the paranormal and mysterious. So, yeah, that I mean, that's a really good story. Um, and we, we've talked a lot about you know, Native American spirits and, and burial grounds. And of course, if this was like a war ground, um, you know, a lot of death and mm-hmm. things associated with it, you know, could have could have left some energy behind. And, you know, that that, that sounds like a, a pretty good conclusion to me that yeah. it's something something related to that. Yep. I, I, I think that's a good assessment of what you saw. Probably some. Somebody from that time frame, you know, showing up to see what the heck's going on. All right. So the next story we got comes from Heather and Heather sent this in for her sister. She says, when I was a freshman in high school, 14 years of age or so, I spent the night with a friend. She lived on the outskirts of town with a railroad track on the right and crops on the left and behind the house, which was big old three story home. Her bedroom was in the attic. We decided to play the Ouija board, and nobody else was there. We were asking our questions, and one of which I remember was how many children I was going to have. It said three. I then asked what the gender would be. It said two boys and one girl, which is exactly what I have. Oh, wow. 
We continued asking questions, and all of a sudden, my friend starts talking in this freaky male voice. I was terrified, and I didn't know what to do, because it was definitely not her, and she was not messing around. I'm freaking out, and I start saying her name over and over, telling her to come out of it. She comes back finally, maybe a minute later, which seemed way longer than that. I asked her if she knew what was going on, and of course, she didn't remember what happened. We didn't know what to do, so in a panic, we ran down the stairs and out the back door with it, the board. And nope, we didn't close it out or say goodbye. We went over to the garbage to where they had a barrel to burn uh, to burn their trash, and yes, we threw it in there and lit the Ouija board on fire. We stood there watching it burn for a good five minutes. We left and headed back upstairs. So we turned the corner and entered her room. As we got closer, we looked down, and not even kidding, the board was sitting on the floor in the middle of her bedroom, all intact, with no burn marks whatsoever. To this day, I still get the chills. Oh, I just got the chills, man. (laughs) Right? Man, there's a reason, Matt, and I tell you, don't screw around with those things. I was going to say, you've heard us say it before. These are not things to mess with. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't even say that there's a, a level of expertise that would make me feel comfortable using a Ouija board ever again. Yeah, it's still not a good thing. to. I mean, even if you're uh, a practicing witch or anything like that, I still don't suggest messing with them there's something about them that is just messed up yeah i mean you're you're essentially opening a door and you know sometimes that door can it's hard to close once it's been opened right so yeah i just say leave them alone and and even even if you do mess with one remember don't burn it yeah you don't burn it because if there's something attached to it you can just set it free Right. To to roam about and do whatever. And please um, close it. And close it. Yeah, if if you're if you're gonna mess with them, make sure you close it. All right. So our next story comes from Bill. Now Bill says that he had he has two experiences. The first one, he says, When I was a kid, we would always go for a week's visit to my great aunt's home in Wilmer, Arkansas. If you Google map it, You'll see what is a very small town, mostly a series of gravel roads perpendicular to the highway, surrounded by forest and swamp. When I was 12 or 13, we were packing the truck to leave back for home when I saw something odd. I was alone at the time and looked 10 or 15 yards across the gravel road through the wire fence immediately on the other side and into the woods that pressed up against it. There I saw about the size of a soccer ball, and approximately three feet off the ground, the head of a toad. From the size and height of this head, I figured but did not see that it made sense that this creature would be bipedal. I ran inside, and on my next several trips out, I never saw anything again. Wow. Yeah. Toad man. (laughs) That's really weird. I, I, I've not heard a Toad Man story before. Now, these next ones, uh, Bill says, kind of all tie together. 
And he says, maybe it's easy that they, they can be brushed away. He said, but he wanted to share. So he's about, he says the background is about seven years uh, ago, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that eventually metastasized to my brain and killed me for a short amount of time on Mother's Day, his first, his uh, one-year wedding anniversary. Then he says, I got better. Well, we're glad to hear that, Bill. Yes. Bill says his, his next experience, soon after diagnosis, when I was slowly dying the first time, I was rushed to the University of Iowa. And while there, they were running a catheter to my heart, draining my lung of lymph fluid and such in a sterile OR. I was hit intensely with three smells, two of which had no business being there, motor oil, camel cigarettes, and sweat. In short, it smelled like my dad, who I had lost six months prior to this event. He said, after the systemic cancer was in remission, but after I had a brief fit of dying from brain tumors, he said, I had brain tumors, heavy medication, and stress, and this probably led to my first and only experience, experience with sleep paralysis to date. He said, not a lot to tell. I woke up next to my wife. I couldn't move. I was stuck with extreme adrenaline uh, as I realized someone or something was in my home. Honestly, I was thinking of a burglar more than a shadow person. I was able to will my arm to move very slowly and clumsily reached behind me for the shillelagh I keep at my bedside. And after a few tries, including trying to pull the bed knob off, so I got a hold of my trusty whomping stick and as soon as I did, the sleep paralysis and fear broke immediately. I've had sleep paralysis, so I know yeah, what you're talking Adam, about. Adam knows exactly what you're talking about. Now, Bill goes on and says, said somewhere in the testimonial miracle camp, and you know, he says this is the least supernatural of all of them, said um, he was in the University of Iowa hospital again. The brain tumors were persistent, and I was losing hope. It was honestly a very dark time in my life, and I turned to prayer. Meanwhile, my roommate had been brought here from Colorado to see one of the best colon cancer specialists in the country. He had a section of colon removed, and I could overhear that there was some concern that the epidural had not worn out in the expected amount of time, and that his family and the doctors were anxiously awaiting his lower body to regain feeling. Now, back to me. I'm in tears and praying, asking for some sign that I was going to make it through this and be there with my daughter. I didn't care about the pain, finances, recovery, sickness. God could give me his worst if I just knew that I was going to survive. And as the prayer left my lips with one perfect comedic beat, came an answer in a way that I truly could appreciate. My roommate's epidural chose then to release his bodily functions with an explosion of gas, the likes of which I doubt I will ever hear reproduced. <laughs> so yet there's a part of me that believes I was given the sign in the form of a fart joke. <laughs> 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 ah, that's, a, that's a great story. Um, yeah. And a great way to know, think of it, you know, whatever yeah, rings exactly. true to you. Exactly. But Bill, we're, we're, we're glad you came through. And we really do appreciate you sending in those stories. That's mm -hmm. great.
Yep. Thank you very much. And a little bit of humor there is good because I always believe you're given signs in ways that you can appreciate and understand them. And at the time, you probably needed a good fart joke laugh. So, all right. This next story we got comes from Deb. Deb says, I clean private homes for a living. And about four years ago, I got two new clients in the same town. They were elderly sisters who both own their own homes a couple of blocks apart. I will call them Gertrude and Marie. Gertrude always stayed home while I while I would clean, but Marie would let me in and then leave. I would lock up when I finished. The very first time I cleaned Marie's house, I felt very uneasy. It was two floors plus the basement, and I would constantly hear footsteps and knocking sounds throughout the house and see shadows through the corner of my eyes. This happened each time I went there for the next three or four times, and the footsteps were so clear that I constantly had to go check Uh, had to go check the house thinking that maybe Marie had come home or maybe there was an intruder. The house was full of angel figurines and pictures. There was also a small child's rocking chair and toys set up in the living room. There were very old toys in the upstairs bedroom and pictures of the same little boy on the walls. I could tell that all the pictures were taken in the 70s and the boy looked to be about six or seven. It was the fifth time that I went to clean when things got more intense. I was vacuuming the dining room when I saw a small shadow run across the kitchen and stop behind the wall to the dining room. I shut off the vacuum immediately and heard a child's voice say, What are you doing? The voice sounded like it was coming over a radio, and it scared me to death. I quickly ran to the front door and opened it, not sure whether or not to run out. I stood there shaking and trying to rationalize what just happened. After a few minutes, I went back to work and finished up as quickly as I could and locked up. The worst was the following week when I went back. That day, the knocking was happening in every room I would be in, and the footsteps and shadows were nonstop. I was anxious the whole time. When I got to the front room, I heard constant knocking on the wall, but kept pretending that I didn't and tried to ignore it. Next, I heard three very loud bangs on the wall, to which I replied, I'm not doing this. This made the entity angry, and it screamed in a blood-curdling, frustrated yell. I dropped my duster and ran out of the kitchen door. I stood outside shaking and crying. I really needed this job, and it paid very well. After about 15 minutes, I went back in and finished my job faster than I ever had, shaking and sniffling the whole time. The next week, I made my teenage son come with me to clean, and as scheduled, we went to Gertrude's house first. Although I didn't know her that well, I got up the nerve to ask her if her sister ever mentioned her house being haunted. She said that she and her sister weren't very close, so she doesn't think that she would reveal that even if it were true. She then told me that Marie had an eight-year-old son that died in 1978. He had been playing outside and came in with a headache. The next day, his headache was so bad that they took him to the hospital. They found out that he had a rare, uncurable form of brain cancer, and within six weeks, he passed away. She asked me not to bring any of this up with Marie, because as you can imagine, she took it very hard and never really got over it. I made my son go with me for the next three or four times to clean until I got a little more used to the place and the activity. After a few months, the noises and shadows slowed down and eventually stopped. I believe that it was just a little boy being curious, 
mischievous, or just looking for attention. I probably seemed calm with my words in telling this story, but at the time, it was the most horrifying, scariest thing that had ever happened to me. I believe it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine? No, not no, at all. Here- you're 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 in a you're in someone else's house and all this crazy stuff starts happening to you. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I, I tell you, I tell you do what. Do you bring that up? Like, do you say, "Hey, you have some <laughs> crazy crap going on at your house," or do you just do like she did and not mention it to her? I don't know. You know, it's it, it, that's a that's a hard one because you, you go to essentially your employer. I mean, you know, a client. And you're mm-hmm. gonna ask them something about their house. I mean, you know, if it's if you think it may be something you imagined, even just a little bit, you're you're just opening yourself up for them to go. All right, you know, you're you're nuts. Yeah, don't want you, you know, coming. I don't back. want you back here. Yep. You know, so yeah, yeah, kind of puts you between a rock and a hard place. Right. But thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah, that, that that's pretty scary. All right, so this next story comes from Rev. Now, Rev writes, this dates back some years ago when we had to move to Orange, Texas, and we had a house in Logansport, Louisiana as well. My dad got a phone call that the house in Logansport had been broken into, so they went up there to check out what had been messed up or stolen or destroyed, when they arrived, they started going through things and seeing what all was missing and cleaning things up. While cleaning things out of my sister's room, they found an old Ouija board that was given to her when she was a young girl. Here she was in her mid-twenties, but the gift was from a step-aunt that gave it to her for her birthday one year. My dad decided that he's going to get rid of it and had always heard that if he threw it away, it would always return back to the owner. So he decided he would burn it. Mm. Yeah, don't burn it. But, you know, didn't know. As he went up to my grandmother's house to find the stuff to burn it, he commenced to lay it on the ground and tried to light it with a match, and the match went out. He then went into the garage and found some charcoal lighter fluid. He proceeded to pour it on the box and tried to light it. Needless to say, it wouldn't light. He used almost a whole bottle and a box of matches, but it wouldn't work. So my dad, being a believer in prayer, he began to pray and ask God for help and guidance. He walked back into the garage and found some lawnmower gas and took the lid off the box and laid the board on top crossways and filled the bottom of the box with gas and a bit on the board as well, and then began to pray and struck a match, and held it to the board. Gas usually ignites from the fumes, but he still had to hold it to the board as he prayed. The board began to burn in the center, not the edge where the match was. So he and my sister backed away as the board was burning, and without warning, the fire exploded straight up into the air 15 to 20 feet with a loud scream coming from inside the board. Louder and louder it screamed, and the fire went back into the ground with a rumble, and then smoke as black as night, blacker than an outer space void, appeared. It began to scream and moan and move toward my dad. Every direction he went, the smoke came at him. 
He even put the wind at his back, and the darkness followed him, and with one final scream, it was gone. Mm. The board and box were just gone as well. Maybe a small bit of ashes and an indentation in the ground where the board was. They came home to Orange, Texas, and we went to church the next day. Everything was good, so we thought. When we got home, we got out and walked to the house, and none of the keys would work on any of the four doors. My dad thought one door that led to the kitchen that wasn't in the best of shape, he would be able to just burst in and replace it later. So my dad proceeded to push on the door to gain access. When you push on things, they tend to fall away from you. But as he pushed on the door, the window shattered out onto him like something was thrown out of it. Mm. We went inside. My dad felt like something was on his leg, like running down his leg. So he sat in the recliner and removed his slacks. He said blood was pouring out of a wound on his leg that he never felt any pain from, and it had bled so much you could pour the blood like it from you could pour the blood from his shoe like you were pouring a drink. Wow. He had no snag in his slacks, no blood on any glass, no meat from the wound. He said, by the way, it was two to three inches long and about an inch wide and at least an inch deep. Wow. That's not just a cut. Said so we bandaged him up and tried to make the best of the rest of the day. Little did we know it was the beginning of a lifetime of hell on earth. The demon house is what we called it, and we had no way of moving because we had rented this place from my step-grandfather because my dad's job relocated him where they needed him. So we lived with it for best I can remember another five years or so till we were older and out of school. My dad will not talk about it to this day, and he is in his 80s. When I ask or even mention the incident, he begins to pray and walk away. My sister is the same way. I have learned to deal with a lot from spirits, shadows, dreams, and even demons. I'm 46 as I write this to share with you. Funny how I can see these events play in my mind over and over, but I can barely remember my own birthday sometimes. (laughs) I'm a preacher now and have been for about five years. Still have things happen that I talk to my dad about. And, you know, I have more to share if it interests you from the dreams of being crucified by demons to my house burning down just last year and things that happened in the house before that day. It feels like I'm reliving each moment as I type them on my phone. I live these things day by day. I have scars on the outside and wounds on the inside. Anyway, let me know, please, if you or the listeners want to hear more. Said after my father was attacked, after the Ouija board was burned, that's when the strange things begin to happen. We lived in a duplex that my step grandfather let us rent from him, and they were old naval barrack houses. We went, we rented both sides and made it one big home. Sometime after we noticed the weird things were happening around this house. It was late one night, and my dad and I were in the living room, sitting on the couch watching TV. We heard clicking from what we thought was the wall. The couch was located next to the front door of the main entrance to the home. 
It was wintertime. All of the house was closed up and sealed because of drafts, and these were old houses. We covered the windows with plastic wrap and duct tape. There was one radiator heater that we used because of natural gas prices. The clicking got louder and louder, and the front door just opened. The main lock was still locked, sticking out, not bent or broken, just like it was locked but not shut. Said it's a barrel lock that you lift and slide to latch. My dad got up and whoosh, like this blast of cold air went through him, but the glass outer door was closed. He stumbled back and looked at me and was confused by what had happened. He closed the door again and locked it and sat back down. That's when he took a piece of paper, put it in the doorway of my sister's room to check for drafts. We sat down on the couch and watched TV. My dad told me to watch the paper. It was moving. When I turned my head to watch the paper, it wasn't moving. So I thought my dad was messing with me and trying to spook me. So I said, sure, and turned back to watch TV. Again, my dad said the paper was moving. I looked at the paper and nothing. He said, watch it out of the corner of your eye. Don't move your head. He was right. It moved a lot, but when we moved our heads, it stopped. So my dad said, just stare at it and see what happens. The paper goes absolutely insane, swinging around violently. Then it stopped, and then it would stop and start to spin like a top. My dad got up to see if there was a draft, and it stopped. No draft anywhere. Then the door flew open and with the barrel latch still in lock position. That night after my family got home, we went to bed. My brother came to my room and says to leave him alone and go to sleep. I had already been sleeping and had no idea what he was talking about. He said, how did you get from Tim's room so fast anyway? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you were jumping on my bed, and when I turned over, you ran into Tim's room. Tim is a cousin that lived with us. I told him to go back to sleep. He was having a bad dream. He said, uh, how can it be a dream when I'm awake? We all went back to bed when I hear him run into Tim's room and flick the light on and start yelling at me and Tim. I walked down the hall and asked, what now? He said, someone is jumping on his bed. We look around and nothing. So I go and lock my door and go back to bed. As I lay there trying to sleep with music playing, with my music playing on my headboard, I notice my door begin to rattle. I yell at the door and tell them to leave my door alone, and it stops. I lay there some more trying to fall asleep, and it shakes violently this time, and I yell out to stop, and I hear glass shattering. I get up to turn my light on and see that my full-length mirror is shattered, spatter, spider web like something or someone had punched it. Although nothing, nothing else happened that night, I didn't sleep. I told my dad about it, but I never took it down. So the next day was Saturday. My brother and cousin and I were at the house alone, and I was smaller then, and when the heater went off and cooled enough, I would, cooled enough, I would sit on top of it. But that day I chose to lean against it and was making my mother's owl wind chimes ring out. So they were ceramic, so it was a peaceful tone. Suddenly, we heard a loud, loud crash in the back part of the house, and we walked to our rooms to see what it may have been. 
Nothing in my room, nothing in my cousin's room. But my brother calls us to come see. So my brother made the other living room his bedroom, and the other kitchen was storage now. And his room was larger than a regular bedroom, and he had a lot of figurines of eagles and trophies on top of his chest of drawers. He had placed a mirror that was for a dresser, but the dresser no longer existed on top of his chest of drawers. Well, the mirror took two people to put on the chest of drawers, and it was across the room in a chair, face down, not broken, just out of place, and none of the trophies or figurines had been moved. We know that because my brother never dusted anything and nothing else was out of its dust. It was overwhelming to say the least, but we dealt with it. Dad was the only person hurt by whatever it was. Well, unfortunately, I was the next target. Not much was happening out of the norm other than lights being turned on and off by themselves or stuff being moved. That's when I had my first encounter with sleep paralysis, and it wasn't fun. It scared me. I had fallen asleep with my lights on and had awakened in my bed, but I couldn't move. I could look around with my eyes but not move my head. I noticed black spots, black spots floating all around the room on the bed, the walls, the ceiling, all over. All of a sudden, my arm shot straight out to the side of the bed, being pulled tightly, and my legs stiffened. One foot was propped on top of the other, and I saw a huge black shadow floating from my feet just up to my face, and it rolled to show a skeleton face laughing like I had never heard before. Uh. My head fell to the left side, and then agonizing pain in my hands and feet. The pain was intense. Before I blacked out from the pain, my side began to throb with such pain I cried, and then it was like when you come out of water gasping for air. I was trying to catch my breath, and the pain was still there, and it was days before it went away. So I told my dad what had happened, and he said, you were crucified. So Holy moly. It, the, the the story goes goes on and for the sake of time um we'll we'll end rev's story right there but wow um that's intense that's yeah i, I just I, I don't even know what to say i mean you know rev brother um I, I I really I really don't even know how to respond. I mean this this truly sounds like someone being terrorized by a demon. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and it sounds personal, not house or land related. That's that's right. That you know, I don't know if it's because of your religious background, the fact that you're you know a, a preacher that you're, you're you know. Your your father's um, religious background, I, I don't know, but I mean this this really, you know, th- this really sounds like just a a demonic attack. Mm-hmm. And re- regardless of of what faith you are, um, you know, we, we have we have gone into stories about demons. You know, some people just. They'll believe a lot of stuff, but they don't believe in demons. 
you know, I, I don't, I don't really know to be honest with you. Um, but I, I know that stories of, of demonic possession, you know, essentially, you know, a demonic attack have been documented for decades, centuries. Yep. So all I can say is, is Rev, I hope you're okay. You know, I, I hope at, at some point in time that, you know, you find peace or you can, you know, overcome all of this. Um, Keep us posted if you want to. Absolutely. You know, the, the you know, the stories are terrifying and, uh, and our thoughts are with you. Um, but, you know, if there's more that you would like to share, you know, Adam and I would, would, uh, we, we would like to hear it. So. Absolutely. All right. So the next story we've got is from Lisa and Lisa says, I have a couple stories, one about my dad and one about my grandpa. These both happened to my husband and I, we will start with dad after he passed away suddenly in 2006, two very curious things happened. First, our dog went to the back door where he always came in and looked up like he was looking up at someone coming in the door and whined. A week or so later, I was at work. I worked 48 hours over the weekend and I wasn't home when this happened, but my husband called me in a bit of a panic. My mom lived in the upstairs and we lived in the basement after my dad passed. My mom was a bit shaky on her feet, so we had a baby monitor so we could hear if she fell or had any problems. My husband was in bed, and he said he heard the dog whine, and then my mom said, Hi, Stuart, which was my dad's name. I told my husband uh, to creep upstairs and look, but he was not willing to do that. She laughs and says he said he pulled the covers over his head and went to sleep. Nothing nefarious, just very comforting. <laughs> so that, I mean, that is a little creepy. Yeah, that's right. Go check. No. No, not doing that. <laughs> and, I, you know, I may have done the same thing. I'm like, look. Uh, yeah, probably. Mama's fine. She She's all right. I'm not going to go see what she's talking to. We can talk to her when it's daylight. All right. Now, story number two. She says, after my dad passed away. My now husband and I lived downstairs as my mom didn't want to live on the farm by herself. It was a typical night. We were just laying in bed and I heard a whistling noise, then a distinct knock. I lay there a bit and then got the courage to ask my husband, did you hear that? When he said yes, I knew then it was my grandpa. Grandpa always was whistling while he was tinkering on a tractor or doing chores around the farm. We haven't heard anything since then. This was around the time that my dad passed. I would guess it was Grandpa letting us know that it was all okay and that Dad was with him. So that's kind of a nice story. That's right. You yeah. know, both those are kind of nice and and good to have a nice story after the one that terrified me that we just read. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so so our next one comes from Shay, and and Shay writes, uh, in the early nineties, my girlfriend and I were apartment managers in a small town in Oregon. The manager's apartment was a three-bedroom with only one exterior door. There was no back door, no patio door, only one way in or out. We had just moved in and didn't have a bed frame yet, so we slept on a mattress on the floor. One early morning, I'm guessing around 2 a.m., I woke up and saw the silhouette of a woman 
wearing what appeared to be a long dress at the foot of the bed. Mm. I quickly sat up and comically rubbed my eyes as she remained. As I stared at her, I clearly saw her turn and walk out the open bedroom door. I quickly woke my girlfriend and yelled at her that someone was in the apartment. As she was trying to grasp what the hell I was talking about, I grabbed a bamboo club I always kept next to the bed and pursued. When I got to the bedroom door, I flicked the switch to the hallway light and prepared for battle. There was no one there. As I stared into the hallway, wondering if she had ducked into one of the other bedrooms, the cover for the doorbell apparatus flew off the hallway wall and slammed the, into the other side before landing on the ground. It startled me, but I clearly saw it happen, and it couldn't have, ha- couldn't have anything to do with the intruder. I wasn't thinking ghost at the time. Methodically, I went from room to room, waking my girlfriend's two young boys in the process, searching every available space that could hide a person. I came up empty-handed. I finally got to the front door, and there it stood, completely locked, including the chain. It would have been impossible for someone to enter or escape. That's when it finally sunk in that this couldn't have been a physical intruder. Now that I think about it, I guess this entity could have been a shadow woman. As a side note to this story, the youngest, who was three at the time, suffered from night terrors while we lived there. He would get up in the middle of the night and go to the living room, cry screaming at the top of his lungs, wide-eyed. Even though his eyes were open, he didn't see us trying to pacify him. It was like he could hear us faintly, but couldn't see us. He would dance as if the floor was on fire, screaming. When he would finally wake up, he wouldn't remember anything. This happened at least once a week. After Mm. we moved, the night terror stopped. That's wild. Now, this next story from Shay says this happened a few years after the first story. We had moved to Salem, Oregon, and I was working as a delivery driver for a copier company. My delivery partner was married to an Irish woman that he met in Ireland. He explained to me that a lot of Irish families would take part in Ouija board sessions on Sunday night, so they continued the tradition while living in the States. Well, of course, this interested me greatly, so I would always want to hear the stories on Monday. They started to get a recurring spirit. The spirit would communicate with them every Sunday night, and this entity called himself Tom. He and I would talk about the sessions sessions frequently and would discuss questions to ask. I got very involved but never participated. One Sunday night, I got in my car to go buy a soda at the Mini Mart down the road. While my car was warming up, I said out loud, Hey, Tom, say hi to Ken and Kara for me. The next day... When we were talking about the Ouija sessions, I had totally forgotten what I had said the night before. He went on to tell me about it, and then he said something really strange happened. They were trying to close the session and say their goodbyes, but instead of Tom saying goodbye, he spelled out, hello, S-J. He went on to say that this really confused him and his wife, and at that point it dawned on me. Those are my initials, S.J. I freaked out and told him what I had done. It shook him. His face went pale and his eyes went wide. 
I'll never forget the look on his face. This Holy left cow, man. no doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, we, we say, you know, these there there are too many stories of Ouija boards and and the fact that you you can you can literally have some form of communication. So Right. But believe it or don't believe it, you know, we, we still feel like these things are better left alone. Right. And usually when they name themselves, mm-hmm. when, when they, they have a name, they tell you their name, that seems to be when the spirit itself is stronger in some sense. You know, right. I don't know if it's correlation, you know, with anything, whatever, but it just seems that way. All right, the next story we got comes from Nick. And Nick says, The most jarring story I have is from when I was a child. I've never seen or heard anything quite similar to what I saw, but I was not the only person that saw it that day. I've had many experiences with the paranormal. Even as a toddler, I would tell my mother of things living in our house with us. As I grew older, we moved to the coast of North Carolina. The coast has its own history of pirate ghosts and omens from the shore. We've talked about that before, Matt. Mm-hmm. I lived about 30 minutes from Greenville, North Carolina. At the time, my mom was a full-time music teacher, so I was left with my babysitter, a family friend, and an avid believer in the paranormal. My babysitter lived in quite possibly one of the most haunted houses I'd ever been to. And these ghosts loved to talk to me when they could. It was one of those old two-story colonial homes with a large front porch. Porches on the coast are a lifesaver, and she lived in a historic home with no A.C. I often would spend my time out on the porch with either her or her teenage daughter. I can't remember what month this was. I was only eight or nine, but I remember it being near hurricane season. We, her daughter and I, were sitting on the front porch. I remember clear as day playing when suddenly the wind picked up. Like I said, this was close to hurricane season, and afternoon storms were never a surprise. I remember pausing. I'm not sure why, but something didn't feel right. The air felt thicker, the wind hotter. To anyone else, it probably would have felt like a normal storm coming. I remember turning to her daughter. Their whole family were well attuned to the paranormal, as I was as well. One of the first believers I'd ever met. So, of course, I looked to her to see if she felt anything as well. Her face was almost a dead giveaway, but it gets weirder from there. I'm not sure what it was we saw next. All I could do is describe it. As we sat on the front porch, our our attention was brought to the sound of hooves on the road in front of her house. I was used to being around horses, but this wasn't the kind of town to do carriage rides and all the horse stables were outside of the main town. What we saw coming down the road towards us was definitely not a horse, though. I can remember the details pretty clearly in my head. The figure looked something like how a horse should look, but oddly broken or not quite right. It was this skeletal head of a horse, but the mouth was distorted, split long ways up to where the eyes should be. The body looked moldy or rotting. I remember thinking it was covered in a grass-like object, but then realizing it was its coat. 
except it was too long to be horsehair. It looked more like a shaggy dog in parts, and in other parts it was mangy. Only the head was skeletal. Her and I were frozen in fear as this thing made its way down the street. The way it walked was all around creepy, weirdly disjointed. It never seemed to notice we were there watching it, and as it made it made its way to the intersection, it disappeared. The air was almost silent after that. Her and I were just sitting there wondering if we'd seen what we'd seen. I looked to her, asking if she had in fact also seen it, and she responded with a quick, yep. We never talked about it. I never got an answer of what it was or what it was doing, but the image of that broken, moldy, and decaying horse has never left me. It wasn't even a full week later before we were hit with a bad storm from the ocean and the street we'd seen the thing on was flooded. Not unusual for the area, but unusual given the circumstances. I'm not sure if the figure was an omen, a ghost horse, or what. Some of my friends have suggested something similar to a Kelpie, but I was a child and that thing didn't give me the time of day. If you guys have any ideas or suggestions, I'd love to hear. All around, it was creepy, and I'd prefer to never see something like it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I went look when he was describing it. I was thinking Kelpie too. Yep. Um, but that that's really not Kelpie behavior. You know, I mean, could be, um, eh, in a way, it, but that area is known for omens. I mean. The gray right. man and stuff. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, I'm I'm thinking more of an omen. You know, definitely, you know, it, it would be interesting to kind of track the history of that area and, and see if if there's any any folklore or or, or something along those lines of of a, of a spectral horse that, you know, predicts disaster or is is a foretelling of disaster. Right. But, uh, you know, a cool story. And, uh, yeah, that, that might take us uh, into doing a little digging uh, to try mm-hmm. to try to get you a better answer than that. But but right. thanks so much for the story. I, I, I really liked it. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about a new sponsor of Graveyard Tales, Warby Parker. Now, Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams, Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores. Yeah, and at Warby Parker, glasses start at $95. That includes prescription lenses, sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. Warby Parker styles range from extra narrow to extra wide to fit all face shapes. So if you've got a big face like me, and me, you you can get the extra wide frames. <laughs> and and that's perfect. And as Adam said, they also offer contact lenses including their very own daily contact lens Scout by Warby Parker. Scout is a comfortable, breathable an affordable daily contact lens. A 90-day pack is only $55. That's, That's an incredible great. value. 
Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Because I know you and I both wear contacts, and Ashley wears contacts, and it's just they can get expensive, man. These daily wears can get expensive, and that fifty-five dollars for ninety days is great. Um, so I mean, it's it's Matt. You and I both did the the online try you know try on kit. Um, it was super easy. You go on there and you pick that you want to do the home try on, right? And then you can you can do like this quiz that they've got and you can pick your face shape and what style you prefer and do you like plastic frames or metal frames, you know, the half frame, uh, the full frame. And then they suggest a whole bunch of glasses that are in the criteria that you picked. You pick those and they ship them to you. And it's great because like you and I were talking before, there's no obligation, you know, they send them to you, you try them on and you send them back for free and they don't force you to buy anything, which is great. And you get to do it in the privacy of your own home. You're not standing there with a pushy salesman or somebody handing you a bunch of glasses they think you're going to like. You're like, eh, I don't want to wear these. And you wind up looking like Mrs. Doubtfire standing there, and you know, with all these people watching you try on glasses. You do it at home. You can you can get your partner to to give you their opinion on them, which is exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. In fact, my entire family voted on the frames that I I finally chose. It's just a great way to do this. Oh yeah, I know. And like you, I you know, I would go put a pair on and walk out, and I'd stand there and go, huh. Huh? What do you think? And Michael would go, no. And Ashley's like, well, I mean, I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, till we found the one that looked right on me. And and when both of them gave me the the thumbs up, then I was like, okay, that's the one I'm going to order. So send it back. And, you know, you once you figure out the frames you want, then you send all of them back. You go back online and you pick those frames and give them your prescription that you get from your eye doctor. And boom, there you go. It's great. It's easy. And, uh, you know, it's the easiest pair of glasses that I've ever bought, to be honest. Absolutely. So, Graveyard Tales listeners can try Warby Parker's free home try-on program where you order five pair of glasses to try at home for free for five days. As Adam said, there's no obligation to buy. It ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. So to try five pair of glasses at home for free, go to warbyparker.com slash grave. That's G-R-A-V-E. That's right. So if you want to try five pairs of glasses at home for free, all you got to do is go to warbyparker.com. That's W-A-R-B-Y. P-A-R-K-E-R dot com slash grave. G-R-A-V-E. Okay, this, this next story actually comes from a review. I've been working in underground mining for several years now and have experienced some of the good Tommy knockers as well as the bad. One instance was a, was warning me to get to get out of the mine moments before we were evacuated for a fire. The next, I was in my heading and we had to go to the surface to get parts for the core drill 
and upon getting into the truck to head out of the heading, a water hose blew and was blowing water everywhere. We took it to repair it, to, to repair the line, and 10 minutes later, we were headed out again when our power in the heading went out. All air and water stopped, and we were told to evacuate as the portal we were headed towards had collapsed, shutting off our primary route of escape. Had the hose not blown, I'm almost positive my partner and I would have been right under that portal when it collapsed. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. A story uh, of the Tommyknockers that's that's more modern than most you know and 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 we discussed the tommy knockers on the show and um you know how some of them can be can be tricksters but how oftentimes they can give miners uh warning and allow them to get to safety like it did in this case right and so it's cool to hear a a more recent story because a lot of the ones we had were older that's right All right, so this next story we got comes from Ryan from the Creepy Campfire podcast. So thank you, Ryan, for sending this in. Um, He says, when I was 20, I was crammed in a single wide trailer with two other guys just trying to play punk and make it through the dull day-to-day in Kentucky Appalachians. It was a two-bedroom trailer, and I shared a room with our drummer, our beds maybe a foot and a half apart. On a humid summer night, I was awoken. Not uncommon as I can't sleep worth a, worth a dang and typically wake up three to four times a night. Because of this, I usually try to do as little as possible so I can go straight back to sleep. Otherwise, I'm up all night. But this night, I had cause for alarm. When I woke, I felt a pressure on my stomach right around my belt line. It didn't hurt, just felt like a weird pressure. I laid there for a few seconds with my eyes closed running through the checklist. Do I have to go to the bathroom? No. Do I have to throw up? No. Did I eat something gross to piss off my stomach? No. So then I opened my eyes, about to get up and get a glass of water and walk off my stomach jitters. When I opened my eyes, I gazed upon something that will forever change my mindset and keep me glued to the paranormal ever since. There was an arm above me, only from just above the elbow down. It wasn't floating because it wasn't bobbing up and down. It was almost like I was inside a bag that this dim, uh, that is this dimension and something was reaching its arm inside of a bag and I could only see what it put inside. The arm was extremely pale and appeared to be that of a woman due to its slim features. The arm was right above where I was feeling the pressure. Looking back at it now, I almost wonder if it was trying to pull something out of me. I've since become aware of sleep paralysis and the fact you can probably see things during it. Unfortunately, this isn't what I had. Whether this was a ghost or some interdimensional being, I wasn't going to wait around to find out. I swung out with my right hand to try and hit the thing, but then it disappeared right before I could hit it. It didn't just ghostly evaporate. It withdrew like an emotion of pulling itself out of the bag to continue with the metaphor. I sat straight up thinking, did that really happen? Do I need to be ready to attack it if it returns? Then I look over the corner of my room where we had a tank with a leopard gecko 
heated with a red heat bulb. The red light of the bulb then begins to pulsate slowly on and off for the next minute, letting me know you didn't imagine that. I look over at my passed out roommate, mad he didn't even stir during the whole event. I get out of the trailer, call my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and tell her what happened, and she proceeds to start praying over me until morning. Within that week, a couple of other strange things begin to happen, like strange noises, small animals appearing out of nowhere, and we all end up moving as quickly as I could find a new place for us. Well, that's wild. Yeah, no kidding. I I like the metaphor of the hand reaching into a bag thing. Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked about, you know, other dimensions and, and how possibly things could come in and out with a portal, you know? And so, I mean it wouldn't be out of out of that realm to say something was reaching in from another dimension yeah that's right you know fiddling around and trying to spook you or maybe grab you and take you on a side note i must be freaking myself out because i keep hearing something behind me i noticed you kept turning around at something and and i haven't heard it all night i'm hearing it now but i think I've got a, a like a little squeeze clamp that mm-hmm. hangs on this uh, this curtain that I've got right here. Right, kind of cuts down on the echo, and I think I've got a heater on, and I think it's blowing it a little, just a little bit, to where that thing is scraping the ground. That's the best. Oh, I, yeah. That's the best I can figure. Maybe. I don't know. Keep hearing some. Let's hope. Some shit. It's weird. <laughs> I've been out here too long. Yeah, right. It's been a long night. All right. This next story comes from Becca. Um, And Becca Becca says, earlier this year, I shared with you guys my scariest time using a Ouija board, which occurred when I was 19. When I was 15, though, I had what I believe to be an encounter with a Wendigo. Mm. we We don't get many of these stories. No, we don't. Now, she says, for context... I had briefly dated a guy. For privacy, I'm changing his name, so we'll call him John. John and I had known each other from our very small high school and were friends but dated very briefly for about a month during the beginning of my sophomore year. At the end of October, we broke up and not mutually. I initiated it. John had some nervous tics, and me being a 15-year-old girl, did not know how to handle dating someone with possibly schizophrenia or some type of paranoia. When I broke things off, I tried to do so gently and tried to still be there for him as a friend. Sometime in mid-November on a Friday night, I'm with my older sister and two close girlfriends. We were planning on spending Friday night together watching movies. However, I received a very frantic phone call from John. He said he believed he was being stalked or followed by something and desperately wanted to be picked up. Now, this was in 2006. I was 15. My older sister was 19 with a freshly earned license. I pretty much begged my sister to take us to go pick up John. It took a lot of convincing, but she eventually caved, hearing how much of a mess he was. We lived near a small mountain range, and John was way up at the base of the mountain. While my sister and I lived some 16 or 18 blocks south of the base. Not a long drive, but the heck of a long walk. So it's probably around 8 p.m. when we pick up John. 
We're all hungry and decided to stop at a pizza place on our way home. John is very visibly upset. He's quiet and doesn't speak too much once we pick him up. I could tell he was scared. As we're driving to the pizza place, we're very close to my house at this point. So we've traveled roughly 15 to 16 blocks south in about 10 minutes or less. We're waiting at a red light on a very busy street. I lived in a metropolis suburb suburb 40 miles east of Los Angeles. The street is one light north of an interstate entrance, and there's stores and gas stations everywhere. So really busy, even at night. My sister and two girlfriends are talking about something, but myself and John are looking outside the passenger side windows to the west. There on the busy corner are two very large dogs without a person anywhere, and they're both staring right at our car. John asks if the rest of us see these two dogs. Aside from it being strange that two very large dogs are waiting at a crosswalk alone, their fur was also strange. One dog had light tan fur, thick like that of a chow, with black splotches, and the other dog was the opposite, thick black fur with tan splotches. My sister and friends are pretty wrapped up in their conversation, and once the light turns green, we take off. I continue to watch the dogs, and they just stay standing at the corner and watch us drive away. John is freaked out, and he still isn't saying much. But we stop and get pizza, eat outside of the joint, and then go home. Nothing else really happens, but John opens up a bit more and tells us that when he was home, which again is at the base of this mountain, that he can hear an animal pacing below his bedroom window. Now, this definitely could be anything since it was so close to wildlife, but he was really scared and was thankful we picked him up. He clearly didn't want to be alone. As the night went on, my sister went to bed, and John, my two friends, and I stayed up watching a movie. Eventually, my two friends fell asleep on my living room couch. John and I are sitting on the living room floor talking, well, whispering, and just maybe two to three feet away from my friends. The lights are all off, and it's fairly dark, but my front main door is open a crack, letting in a little bit of light from the outside. John and I were talking about a book he had been reading, and the mood had lightened quite a lot. Out of nowhere, we heard a far-off scream. Now, my mom suffered from night terrors and would sometimes scream or yell in her sleep, so my first thought was that it was my mom down the hall. I tried to calm John, calm John with this, and we sat in silence listening to see if it would happen again. If it was my mom, I would typically wake her up to shake her out of it. We heard it again shortly after the first one. It sounded closer, and I wasn't so sure it was my mom anymore. It sounded like a cross between wind howling through treetops and a scream. Whether from a person or an animal, I'm not sure. We hear it a third time, and at this point, it's definitely closer and clearly not my mom. At this point, John and I are holding on to each other because we're both scared and have no idea what it is. I I had lived in this home my entire life, and never had I experienced a sound or a fear like this. As the sound got closer, it sounded like it rounded the side of my home and was coming closer to the front door. Luckily, I had a screen door, 
and while the main door was cracked open, the screen was shut and locked. Shockingly, my two friends never once stirred throughout all of this. John and I are both shaking, just gripping onto one another, scared out of our minds, and this howling is right outside the front of my home. Not once could I see anything, and I was way too scared to move. John, however, decided to stand up and look outside the door, so I followed closely behind him and peeked outside with him. Nothing, absolutely nothing was outside. No people, no cars driving by, just the darkness of the cold fall night. John insisted on going outside, and no matter how much I protested, he went anyways, and I was left to watch from the screen door. He walked a few steps around to check either side of my home. He was within my sight the whole time and came back saying that he didn't see anything. But we definitely heard something just a few moments earlier, and when it was right outside my door, it was really loud. John came back inside, and we both just went back to sitting on the floor together. Eventually, we fell asleep, but we were both listening, waiting for the howl to come back. In the morning, I asked my friends, sister, and mom if they heard anything during the night, and none of them heard or experienced anything. One of my friends recalled John going to the outside and looking around at one point, but that was it. I decided that we should go outside and look around the house to see if there were any animal tracks or any sort of evidence that something was there. Right outside my front door, on our welcome mat, is a, was a small pile of chicken bones, or what mm. appeared to be chicken bones, picked clean. Of course, my sister thinks that someone bullying John has been following and messing with him, but no one knew where I lived. And when we checked outside the night before, there was no one around at all. We didn't see any other signs or tracks or even footprints for that matter. Just those very clean bones in a small pile on the welcome mat. Well, that's not good. Mm-mm. John and my friends went home. and For the next few weeks, I was very aware of every sound I heard at night, but I never heard the howl again. And whatever was plaguing John seemed to dissipate and leave him alone shortly after. At the time, I had no idea what a Wendigo was and had never heard of one, but a week or so afterwards, John messages me uh, via AOL Instant Messenger. Hey, remember that? Yeah. And he sent me a link and a bunch of readings on Wendigo. I didn't know how or why, but to this day, I believe that John may have been stalked by a Wendigo that night. He was mentally weakened and under a lot of stress. We saw these strange dogs, the howling, and the stalking. I don't know how else to explain it, because it's impossible that a typical animal would follow him that far and long. None of his friends or bullies knew I existed or where I lived, and John was truly trembling that night. There was no way he orchestrated it to get back at me for ending the relationship. We remained friends for a while afterwards and spent many nights discussing what happened and what it could have been, but we settled on it likely being a Wendigo. I have still never heard anything like that howl, not in movies, not in real life. Nothing has ever come close to what we both heard that night. And honestly, that's the part that freaks me out the most still to this day, and I'm almost 30 years old. That's wild. That is wild. Um. 
I don't know. You know, that territory there that she's talking about, you know, just outside of Los Angeles, I mean, you know, could could be. Um, could be. I mean, it could also be some form of witch or, you know, something like that yeah. with the bones. I mean, bones can mean a couple different things. And it could be a Wendigo or it could be some type of witchcraft or something, or, you know, like bad witchcraft. Yeah. Or, or in that area, an, an, another, another type of, of Native American spirit. Yeah. You know, that, you know, Southern California, you know, was, you know, heavily populated with, with not just, you know, Native Americans, but, you know, Latin American tribes, uh, you know, so there's a there's a lot of folklore here to choose from um, mm-hmm. that that it that it could be. And and so many um, of these entities are similar in behavior and description. And depending on what tribe, you know, it could be a different variation of of the same thing. Right. It, it definitely sounds like it was it was stalking in nature the way it may have tracked him from his house, you know, to hers. So yeah, for sure. You know, a re- really interesting story. Um, you know, I, I I would almost say you know wild animal, except the chicken bones kind of kind of locks it. Right. You know. Right. That that changes it. Uh, quite a bit. Absolutely. So, all right. So this next story we got comes from Bryce and Bryce says, so my story actually comes from my friend who shared it with me late one night while we were talking in my truck after I had just confided in him, my experience with sleep paralysis. I'll call him David for the rest of the story. So with a slight tremble in his voice, David admitted to me that he too had had an experience when he was younger that truly frightened him and that he had only told his parents. And when he, when I say young, I mean very young. This story comes from as early as he can remember and ended when he was around 10. He told me that as a kid, he suffered heavily from asthma, which surprised me as I had known him since he was probably 12 years old and it was the first I'd ever heard of it. We'd played sports and gone biking together, and I'd never seen him use an inhaler or even been out of breath, for that matter. I mentioned this to him, and he said he didn't believe the problem had anything to do with something natural. With a shaken voice, he began to describe to me a supernatural presence that had stalked him his entire childhood. He could show up during the day, evening, or night, but always when he was alone or the only one awake. He likened it to my experience with the shadow man, a humanoid shape, but instead of being made out of shadow, being made entirely out of static, like the black and white stuff on old TVs when you're turned onto a channel with no reception. He explained how he never felt any symptoms from his asthma until the static man would appear. Whenever David saw him, he would immediately have trouble breathing, or even have full-on asthma attacks. The static man would stand near him, almost in triumph, for a few minutes, and then he and David's breathing problems would disappear as fast as they had appeared. David said he can't remember the first time it happened, 
but that it scared his parents to death as he seemed to only have them when they were in a different room than him. But they would constantly find him sweaty and out of breath whenever they would go to check on him. This all culminated to a massive climax when David was at a hotel with his family while on vacation. He said that his entire family was asleep except for him, but that he, however, couldn't sleep as he could have sworn that he had seen the static man earlier in the day, but he hadn't had an asthma attack, and that apparently only made him more nervous than if he had. He found himself staring at the TV in the room, strangely transfixed by the way the moonlight coming from the window shone off the glass when it happened. The TV seemed to turn on, full of static, but it made none of that harsh noise that usually accompanies TV static, and my friend noticed that the power button did not show that the TV was on. Fear gripped David's chest as he realized what he was seeing was not static, but the static man. Eventually, a face formed in the TV, and my friend watched helplessly as the static man exited the TV and stood in the room. A lump filled David's throat, and he found it impossible to scream as the humanoid slowly approached his side of the bed while his parents slept in pure bliss to the terror in their child's heart. The static man reached out a hand towards David, something he had never done before, and the moment it touched my friend's chest, he found that he could no longer breathe. As soon as the ghastly hand touched my friend, the static man disappeared. Struggling to breathe, my friend tried to call out to his parents, and even though he made no sound, some innate parental warning woke his mother up as she immediately shot out of her bed and looked over to see her son reaching out to her, trying to speak. My friend said that's the last thing he remembers before he lost consciousness and eventually woke up in a hospital. They had been lucky enough to be staying at a hotel near a hospital, and his parents had rushed him to the ER just in time for the doctors to revive David. They decided that the change in altitude and plant life might have, had, might have been too much for David and suggested that they take him home. Once home, at least one member of his family was always present with David for fear that he would have another life-threatening asthma attack. David preferred to stay in his room, however, a few days after the incident, his dad suggested they go downstairs to watch something on the TV, and my friend vehemently refused. His father, confused, asked what was wrong with the TV. And so David, overwhelmed by the attack from the static man, spilled the entire story to his dad. He thought he would laugh, but his dad took it seriously and with a somber face left the room. The next day, a priest from our church arrived to bless the home and my friend. This was proof enough to my friend that his dad had believed him. For the next few weeks, someone was always present with David, more for his ease of mind than his family's, as he would shake in fear any time they would suggest they leave him alone. Eventually, life became too busy and his parents were forced to leave him alone despite his objections. David explained to me that he didn't sleep for days, too scared of the inevitable return of the static man. However, despite his certainty, he never saw the static man in the following days, then the following weeks, then the following months, and now the following years. He is purely convinced that whatever the priest did was enough to cast the static man out of his life. As he wrapped up his story, David explained to me that was the reason I was unaware of his asthma problem, because it had stopped with the departure of the static man. 
His doctor had been amazed at how suddenly all the symptoms stopped, especially after having such a life-threatening attack. Quote, as long as it has been since my last encounter with a static man, David explained, I still have an innate fear of TVs. I fear that sometime, somewhere, he'll claw his way out of his banishment and find me, only to make me suffer once again. Holy crap. Right. I have never, I have never heard a story like that. No. No. That's insane. And, I mean, just the, the description of the static man, quite original. It's not like a lot of things we've ever heard before and that it came out of the TV at one point, you know, it's like, it's using that, like it was using the energy from that TV to power itself or something. Yeah. Crazy. It's just, bleh, gives you the willies. Yeah. Yeah. So our next one comes from Rachel and Rachel says, I am originally from Huntsville, Alabama. I've always believed in the paranormal ever since I was little. Some would probably say I, I watched too many horror movies and shows growing up. But once I tell them some of my experiences, it's up to them whether they believe me or not. I think what started it was when I was seven or eight years old. I came down with a bad case of bronchitis. I was in bed and I woke up not being able to breathe. At the time, with me being so sick... I was sleeping in my parents' room so they could watch out for me. I was gasping for breath, but could see myself trying to breathe. I didn't realize until I was older that I was actually having an out-of-body experience. I could see my dad holding me while my mom drove to the hospital. I remember I could see myself laying in the hospital bed and them giving me breathing treatments. I could see the oxygen smoking out through the mask they had on me and so much noise coming from it. I described it like I was a dragon breathing fire. Almost when I when I tried to explain what happened when I was little. They said any longer I would have died that night. And I believe that maybe that experience had the veil lifted a bit for me and to be especially more open to the paranormal. The worst experience that will forever stay with me was when I was about 24. I was engaged at the time, and we were moving into a new du- duplex on Halloween. The kitchen and living room were downstairs, and the bedroom and bathroom were upstairs. At the time, my now ex-fiance worked early morning shifts and left around 4 a.m. I worked afternoon night shift, so I would always go back to sleep once he left. Our air mattress laid right next to the doorway. After he left, I went back to sleep, or so I thought. I woke up hearing footsteps coming up the stairs. Sometimes he'd forget something, and he would have to turn back around and come back and get whatever he had left. I looked at the door, waiting for him to come in, but when the door opened, nothing was there. I wasn't able to move. I had never had sleep paralysis before, but I'd heard of it. I couldn't see anything, but I could feel a force climb on me and sit right on my chest. I didn't know how long it lasted, but when I woke up, I could move again. I told my fiance, and he just kind of brushed it off as a bad dream. About a week or so later, I had another sleep paralysis episode. The same thing happened. Footsteps coming up the stairs, 
me feeling helpless once this force got on top of me again. I told my experience again to my fiance, and he again brushed it off. Another week went by, and yet another paralysis episode happened. I finally decided to move the air mattress against another wall that faced the bedroom door. Every month, I seem to have the same paralysis episode, same exact way, about two or three times. Though I would fight back and begin to fight to move in my dreams despite the force on me and the fear. I tried looking into the duplex we were living in to see if someone died or was even murdered, but found nothing, and the realtor that we rented from said nothing about it also. I felt such a negative energy and possibly something malicious was around me. I'd tell my fiancé, and he felt I'd just had bad dreams because of me watching too many horror movies. When I told a few of my co-workers, they were a little more concerned for my home life. They asked if my fiancé abused me. It was more emotional than physical abuse. He did have anger issues and took medication, but when he'd forget to refill it and couldn't get it until he had the money, you could tell when his anger got bad and it would be a bit scary to me. They felt these dreams could be a sign that he might end up hurting me. I told them I could feel this energy that was so terrible it made me not want to go to sleep. The last episode I had is one reason I made up my mind to leave the duplex and leave the relationship. Since I was able to move more, I could tell exactly when the being would come. I braced myself, hearing the footsteps come up the stairs. I'd moved my best to the to the floor trying to hide next to the bed under the covers. I'd try to dial 911, but when the operator is talking, I can't speak. I try to scream, but nothing comes out. Then I hear the door open and a noise. It sounded like me, like a belt being undone and a man's voice saying, hello. I wake up screaming my head off and crying. He wouldn't even comfort me with this dream once I told him how scared I was. My co-workers took it another way. After I left him and the duplex, I never had any more sleep paralysis episodes. Whatever this energy was that I felt in that place, whether malicious and actually after me, or maybe even being something to warn me of the future, got me away from that situation I was in. This will forever be my memory of how things could have gotten so much worse. Wow. Yeah, wow is my first uh, reaction, but I, I, I wonder, um, and this is just me speculating, that if maybe the fiancé was tormented by something. You're thinking along the same lines I'm thinking. Yeah, and that it wasn't her necessarily. Um she was just sensitive enough to the energy that was tormenting him. Right. And that maybe the anger issues w- were not related to a medical condition, but, you know, something much darker. And right. the medication that he took just maybe altered his consciousness enough that it didn't control it. It just kept it from controlling him. Yep. You're thinking what I'm thinking that. He's got some kind of uh, possession or something like that happening. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's possible that it could have been something inside the duplex, which 
you know, latched on to him. Maybe maybe he was vulnerable in some way. Uh, it's hard to say, but you know, I I definitely think that she possibly was was feeling the effects of maybe what was playing on him. I don't know. It's just a guess, right. but yep, I'm with you. All right, so this next story comes from Jaden from Straight Up Enigmas podcast. So Jaden says, when I was in high school, my friends told me all about a ghost named Flo, short for Florence, that haunted a local cemetery. They said she was a spirit of a girl who had been hit by a car and died while waiting just outside the graveyard for her prom date to pick her up for the dance. So my friend told me that uh, a friend told him that if you go to the cemetery at night and put your car in neutral and shine your headlights three times on Flo's headstone, she would appear in front of you in the middle of the road. My group of friends was really into the supernatural, so one night we all piled into my friend's car and drove over to the graveyard really late at night. We found Flo's tombstone, then parked our car on top of this little hill so that we were slightly facing downhill. My friend put his car in neutral, and as we rolled forward, he flashed the brights three times on Flo's gravestone. A few seconds passed and nothing happened. We're all kind of quietly, nervously laughing, waiting for something to happen, but we're just sitting there when suddenly we all go dead quiet. About 20 or so yards in front of us, this ball of green light about the size of a basketball appears in the middle of the road, just hovering there. I remember it being completely silent in the car. The only sound I could hear was our breathing as we all watched this ball of glowing light for a few seconds and then it disappeared. Someone started saying something like, did you see that? When the form of a girl appeared in the same exact spot where the ball of light had been in front of us in the middle of the road. And just like the ball, the girl sort of glowed with this greenish light. All I could see was her side profile. She was standing or hovering facing away from us to my left. I could see a head, arms hanging down loosely at her sides, and legs. She was wearing a flowy dress that went down to her ankles, and her hair was long, and it looked almost like it was floating, like it was suspended in air. The apparition stayed only a few seconds, maybe only around 10 seconds, and then she disappeared. She didn't move toward us or the car, but one of my friends says he remembers her sort of moving off to the right and disappearing. As soon as she was gone, I remember taking a deep breath like I was like I had been holding my breath that whole time. And we all sat there in stunned silence. I didn't feel scared necessarily. I didn't feel like Flo was malevolent or that she wanted to hurt us. But I just felt shaken up. And the whole way home, we were all just in a daze. To this day, I still have no idea what I saw in the graveyard that night. Was it a ghost? Trick of the light? Swamp gas? <laughs> if it was a spirit, I'd like to know why Flo continues to haunt the cemetery. If anyone has any ideas, I'd love to hear them and get down to the bottom of this mystery. Well, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. It's, it's almost like chasing one of these, uh, you know, urban legends and it mm -hmm. actually coming around. <laughs> Right, exactly. Okay, so our our next story, um, the uh, the writer uh, wants to go by the name Apparitional, and he is Native American, 
So these stories are going to touch on a lot of the, the Native American stories that, that Adam and I have discussed over the last few years. All right, so it starts out like this. This one was told to me by a hitchhiker. I was driving from Fort Defiance, Arizona to Navajo, New Mexico. I never pick up hitchhikers, but I was unemployed and I was taking gas money where I could get it. A lot of these hitchhikers offered a few bucks for a ride. An older man, maybe in his late or mid 40s, was walking and I picked him up. This was a couple of years ago before all the virus stuff hit. It was the middle of the day when I picked him up. We made small talk to ease the awkwardness. He thanked me for picking him up, and I said, no problem. I told him that Indian Route 12 is a spooky road to drive at night. He agreed. I didn't ask, but he then told me about a skinwalker encounter he had. Uh, I guess he was reminded because at the time, he was also hitchhiking. He said he borrowed a vehicle from a friend or family member and that he had to be somewhere. Keep in mind, a lot of Navajo like to live way off the grid and deep in the mountains. And in this case, it was the Chuska Mountains. Of course, the vehicle had broken down. It was in the middle of the night in the mountains. So, nothing to do, he decided to walk. He said the walk was uneventful until he saw a lone dark figure walking on the isolated dirt road. This made him a little nervous, but he kept walking. So he was a lot closer to the figure. He then yelled at the person, Hey, a little late to be out walking, aren't you? No reply. The moment got more tense and uneasy. Soon the black figure was close enough that they were about, they were about the same height. He said hi again, and to his horror, he saw that the black figure was just that. A solid black figure. No features. He said he saw the thing did have eyes, and it was staring ahead, and it turned its eyes toward him, and it stared at him as it walked past. He went on to say that it made a hideous, ugly, low growling noise. The thing kept on its way, walking the opposite direction. He said it disappeared out of sight. No idea where it disappeared to. The following week, he had gone to see a medicine man. The medicine man had told him that the thing he saw wasn't a skinwalker. However, there was a skinwalker nearby, maybe in the trees. He was told by the medicine man that the black entity and the nearby skinwalker were working together against someone in the area. The reason the thing did not bother the man was because he was not the intended target. It was a horrifying case of wrong place, wrong time. This was all he told me. I didn't get the guy's name or where he was from, nor did I see him again. Even typing this out gave me the creeps. Now, Yeah, me too. Yeah. Now, he has a second story. And this one says, So this one is a story my dad told me when I was younger. I don't know if we were related to the guy or where this takes place. I just know my dad doesn't lie, and he especially doesn't do it for fun. This one is a little short, but I'll try to stretch it out, write it out the best of my knowledge. My guess is that this was a long time ago before before Navajos could obtain or afford vehicles. 
He said there was this old man walking somewhere and out in the open on a lonely trail. As the old man walked, he noticed out in the distance a tiny black dot, but thought nothing of it. As time passed, he looked up again and saw the tiny black dot was a little bigger and noticed it was moving. As he got further down the trail, he could discern that it was an animal, maybe a dog. Then it soon got to the point where he could see it was a dog, but it was still a little further out. As the black dog and him got closer, he figured if he kept his face to the ground and ignore the dog, it wouldn't bother him. Soon he could hear the dog walking and panting, and maybe force of habit, curiosity, or curiosity, the old man looked up at the dog ahead of him, and to his horror, the old man saw the dog was the face had the face of a human, a black, hairy human face, and it smiled at him. This horrified the old man, and he ran. When he felt like he was far enough away and safe, he looked back, and the dog creature was gone. In the open field in the middle of the day, it had disappeared. I'm not sure if this is an actual story or a legend, but it's pretty darn scary. Yes, yeah, it I'd is. say so. That's wild. Thank you for sending those. We we like getting stories firsthand from um, you know Navajo people of the things we have looked into and talk about. Yeah, that's right. I mean it, it it's it's not it, it's not often that we we do get firsthand stories um, when it comes right. to to Native American. Uh, spirits or entities or experiences so yeah we really do appreciate that all right so our last story tonight comes from patrick and patrick says there was a period of time where i had a few sleep paralysis encounters but one in particular stood out the most which freaked me out and i don't freak out that easily i was in a deep sleep and i can recall the dream so vividly i was with a person whom i've known from following on YouTube and had built a good rapport with them. In the dream, he was with me over from the States and we were both in the small town in Scotland where I grew up. At a point, he seemed negative about what we were doing and he was dismissive as it wasn't what he was used to doing in the States and was disappointed. I was about to confront him and from nowhere, a dark shadow came at me full on and forced me out of the dream and back into my bed. Believing I had woken up, I was unable to move. The shadow was over me, and as much as I tried to fight it off, I was paralyzed and was not able to do anything. Suddenly, I managed to turn my head towards my wife, who was next to me, and started to frantically call to her. I was then able to move and kicked and lashed out at the same time I managed to grab my wife's arm. She freaked out as I turned back to the shadow. It was gone. I sat bolt upright in hysterics, and at that point, my wife actually woke up and tried to calm me down. The sweat was pouring over me, and my heart was pounding. Once I composed myself, I went to the bathroom and splashed some water over my face and headed to the kitchen for a glass of water. The experience was so real, I felt compelled to jot it down on my phone to really try to make sense of what had occurred to me that night. I, I mean, as a sleep paralysis person here, I completely understand. Those things are 
freaky and they will mess you up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Adam, I know you, you've experienced this many times. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know what these folks are talking about when they bring up sleep paralysis. So I, I am just, I am amazed at how you guys have done with these stories. I mean, Oh yeah. Just one after another, just such amazing, uh, some really scary, some heartwarming. I, I mean, y- y'all have done a great job this year. Yeah, and just to kind of give you a, a you know heads up on it, Matt and I have been sitting here for about five hours recording these stories. Oh yeah. So that that's how many you guys have sent into us, and we. It's been a long night, but we love doing yeah. it. My my numb butt thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Our full bladders thank you, too. So, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. We we hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Um, you know, you got three three full episodes, or at least two full and a, and a, and a teaser, uh, right. of, of nothing but stories that were sent to us by you guys. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's great, and we we really do appreciate everyone helping us make this uh, this holiday season's episodes uh, really just fantastic. And, and oh, so yeah. if if you if you dig these stories, um, you know, let us know. Um, I'm sure most all of these guys are are members of the graveyard, and to take the time to sit down, type these things out and send them to us for us to share with, with all the other graveyard members. Uh, it's, it's, it's truly our pleasure to, uh, to present these. So, Oh yeah. Yep. Thank you very much. And you know, we'll see pretty soon. And we, we hope that next year we can do the same again. And I would say even longer, but I don't know how we could do this any longer. Yeah, No way. (laughs) <laughs> no way it could go any <laughs> longer than this. Um, but uh, Happy New Year, everyone. And uh, here's to bigger and better things in 2021. So uh, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 